0: Good morning. Thank you, George, for those kind words earlier. Before we begin, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So the theme of this week's chapel message uh, can be found in the word hope. How do we move forward in hope? Well, 2020 has been quite a year, right? I think we could all collectively take a long, deep, big breath and let it out with a sigh, right? And each of us, I'm sure, is able to create a big, long list of things that have made this year tough on us. For me, one of the hardest parts about 2020 has been being across an international border from home. As George said earlier, I'm from the States, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area, and one of the things I was really looking forward to doing this year was spending some time with my family and especially with my sister and her kids. Uh, My nephew is turning two, well he turned two in June, and uh, she had another baby in early March. and So I was really looking forward to spending so much time with them this year. But, of course, as you can imagine, uh, the pandemic is not letting that happen. Um, But more than that, uh, one thing that has made this year hard was that uh, the two remaining grandparents that I had both have died over the last eight months. So my grandma passed away back in March, uh, a week after my niece was born. Uh, And then, uh, just last month, uh, my grandfather, who would have turned 98 years old yesterday, uh, he passed away. And so as you can imagine, it's hard to uh, live across this border and, and try to figure out how do I go home and how do I mourn and then come back and spend two weeks in quarantine by myself with all that grief. Uh, it can be quite tough. Now, that's not to cast any shadows on all the, the good things that have happened this year, even amidst right, the pandemic. And there's so much that we can be thankful for but our grief, our emotional strain and the simple fatigue that can accompany this season in our lives. These are things that we need to spend time thinking through, allowing ourselves the space to process it all and perhaps moving forward, uh, remembering both the things which we've lost as well as the good things that are to come. So how does hope fit in to all of this. As a starting place for my reflection, I was asked to consider a short line from Psalm 71, which is translated in the New International Version. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. Now, hope is a strange thing. Not all hope is the same. Not all hope is pointed in the right direction. And sometimes we have a misplaced hope so that when inevitable disappointment and failure come, or even just simply grieving over something, we often attribute that uh, to God. So this morning I want us to consider a couple of different things related to hope. First, I want to reiterate in the strongest terms I can That hope is still possible in the midst of grief. The two are not mutually exclusive, and I think, in fact, hope gives us something solid and something tangible to hold on to in the midst of lament, in the midst of exhaustion, and in the midst of these long sighs that we sometimes have. But, second, and also important, Uh, I think we need to reserve our hope for things deserving of it. That is, we need to remain hopeless in hopeless things and hopeful in the one place that is deserving of our hope and from which all other founded hopes spring. So if we begin to answer this question, where do we go now, how do we move forward with the wrong foundation, then I think our hopes are only going to be dashed. So as we begin, let's take a closer look at the context of Psalm 71, where we find our verse of reflection. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. In the Hebrew text, Psalm 71 does not have a superscription. But in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, we do find a title that says pertaining to David. And in the book of Psalms, this Psalm 71 comes almost at the very end of the section of the book called Book 2. With Psalm 72 bringing this stretch of Psalms to a completion. Within Book 2, we have a number of Psalms of David that connect us to his life in the book of Samuel. And here in Psalm 71, it seems like we are hearing again from David, this time in his older age. He says in verse 18, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me. My God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. So it's perhaps right to hear this psalm as a prayer of David, not in the vigor of his youth but as a more mature and elderly king. This is a David who finds himself again in the midst of trouble, but now as one who has an entire life of experience with the God who appointed him as the king over all Israel. Throughout the psalm, David cycles back through a number of different avenues. He starts with some cries of help, moves to remembrances of past deliverance, and comes to hopeful exclamations of God's rescue. And so he cycles back through all of these different areas. We read about his human life in the womb as he says, You, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. We read about his heroic reputation. I have been as a portent or as a sign to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. We read about his continuous trust in God. My mouth will tell of all of your righteous acts and your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. And finally, we hear about his present hope. He says, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me, those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. And so then this brings us to our verse. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. So it's within this larger picture of a life full of trust, full of despair, full of deliverance that we read these words of reflection. And as I was thinking about this verse the last couple of weeks, one observation that I noted about verse 14 is that this verb translated hope is this Hebrew word yachal. And it has a synonymous counterpart a little bit earlier in the psalm in verse 5, where David says, For you, O Lord, are my tikvah, my hope. So you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. In fact, these statements of hope and trust in verse 5, when continued into verse 6, show David offering a similar kind of statement of praise as he does in verse 14. So let me read those again. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. I have leaned on your support from the womb. You are the one who took me from my mother's belly. My praise is continually of you. While in his mother's womb, David, right, is utterly helpless. He cannot fend for himself. He cannot provide for himself. And he probably doesn't even understand what it means to trust in himself yet. Right? So he must rely on outside help in order to survive. So fast forward to the end of his life. Right? Elderly King David, right, using this kind of imagery, right? he's now in a similar kind of situation. He is helpless and he needs the Lord to act for him once again. And so he waits As one scholar noted, this verb, yachal, right, to hope, in verse 14, it suggests an attitude of expectancy or waiting, looking for something to happen. The expression then is one of hope. It's of expectation. It's a ready but patient hope. It's a hope clued in to the patterns of God's rescue from trouble. Just as God was there to provide for him while he lived in his mother's womb, so now, in his old age, David can patiently but expectantly look for God's provision. David, however, is not content just to sit back and wait for all this to happen. Even before the deliverance comes, his long-standing anticipatory hope has taken root and it blossoms into an ever-increasing praise. So looking again at verse 14, we read, I will wait continually and then increase upon all your praise. Now the way we quoted this verse earlier from the NIV, right, the second part, uh, I will praise you more and more. But when you look at the Hebrew of this verse, uh, the word praise is not the verb, right? So I will praise you more and more, right? It's a verb there, praise. But In this verse, the word praise is a noun. It's referring to praise that is being offered to the Lord, your praise. The main verb here is actually a verb that introduces this idea of something that's increasing or something that's being added to something. So while praise features predominantly here, the syntax wants our attention to focus Not on the praise per se, but on its increase, right? The increasing of praise. And what's kind of cool about the verb form that's here is that it suggests that this increase of praise will come about as a result of David's hope, right? So it's praise that comes out of hope. So, drawing out these kind of verbs, maybe I can offer this paraphrase of verse 14. O oh God, I will expectantly wait for you to rescue me, and as I do, I will joyfully increase my praise of you. The flowering of praise blossoms from the fertile hope of or sorry, the fertile soil of patient hope. So where do we go now as a Tyndale community? How does this strange hope of David connect with us? So as we said, Psalm 71 is the prayer of an aging David, one who's well-seasoned and well-acquainted with both suffering at the hands of his enemies and deliverance provided by the Lord. And looking back over his life, he sees this pattern of divine salvation. Now, when I look at my own life and think about God at work, uh, I find it often hard to see these same patterns patterns at work. Not that they're not there, but that they're just very hard to see, right? Though there may be certain events that we are able to see God's hand at work clearly within, I think in most cases we're left somewhat in the dark, only seeing through the glass dimly, as it were. It's difficult for us to speak with the same kind of confidence that David has when we look at individual events in our own lives, right? How do we make sense of some friends or family who suffer through tragic miscarriage, right? While other friends and family have successful after successful pregnancies. Where is God's hand in that? How do we figure that out? What's God trying to teach us? Is God trying to teach us anything? Is that even the right kind of question to ask? And how would we tell someone in the midst of that tragedy to just have hope, what does that even mean? And is that something that's even appropriate to say? So sometimes we're stuck here in this strange place of ambiguity. We're looking for signs of significance, for places to latch onto, for hope. But we're looking at transitory events. At best, they are only partial signifiers of ultimate things. How do we find hope in a loved one who dies after a long and brutal bout with cancer? Or in a friend who has had their lives unchangeably altered by tragedy? Or in sam- the seeming randomness involved in who lives or who dies in seemingly natural events, right? like earthquakes or hurricanes or forest fires, floods, tsunamis, whatever it may be? Or in our season, right, of global pandemic. Where millions have died at the hands of a virus which is indiscriminate in who it infects and in whom it kills. So where is the pattern of David's deliverance here? What kind of sign is David for us? Where should we put our hope? Should we put it in the outcome of transitory events or things like elections, marriages, health, wealth, or even our career success? Or in acts of deliverance like David experienced? Is that where hope finds its foundation? Well, in the coming weeks we will be entering into this liturgical season of Advent followed by Christmas. And it's here, I think, that we find the only solid, unchangeable foundation for hope in our short lives. With Advent, we celebrate the arrival of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. His earthly life, death, his resurrection, they mark the one event of ultimate significance in human history. It's the single most important marker of deliverance. And that gives us hope. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is sitting at the right hand of the Father, we have hope. The death and resurrection of Jesus are not just two more little blips in the passing events of history, but they have ultimate significance. Jesus not only breaks the pattern of death, but defeats death once and for all. So all this sickness, this disease, this suffering, this death, all of this tragedy, right, every, all of these things that are always there surrounding us, ready to pounce on us, ready to bring the brutal realities of life into full view, right, they're not the end of the story. They weren't the end of Jesus' story. They weren't the end of David's story. And they are not the end of... Of our stories either. As the Apostle Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So as Paul writes, if Messiah Jesus has not been raised from the dead, if this decisive and definitive act of God's salvation did not in fact take place, then not only is our faith pointless and our sins not forgiven, but all of this suffering... All of this misery, all of the tragedy that we go through, that's all that there is. Death awaits us, and only death. If our hope is centered on the situations and the events of this life only, through all its ups and downs, then Paul writes that this is a hope to be pitied. It's a pitiful, hopeless hope. But that doesn't need to be the case. There is a place of hopeful hope, of founded hope. It's in the resurrection of Christ. The place we look for patient endurance and ultimate hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in the Son of God's own obedience, suffering, death, and resurrection that the patterns of David's suffering and deliverance, and indeed our own patterns, find their Completion. So, it is for the return of Christ and of our own resurrection from the dead that we can pray alongside David in Psalm 71 I will wait continually and then increase upon all your praise. It's in the midst of trials and tribulations we can hold fast to the truth that Christ has been raised from the dead. And we can pray with David in Psalm 71 You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. So may we, with David and all the saints, pray in patient, enduring hope as we celebrate the advent of the Messiah, in full and longing expectation that Christ will lead us through all our present troubles as we await his return and the kingdom come. Amen.